recorded live in Golden Ox Studios. Welcome to another episode of Friday Late Show. This is a podcast about bombing because everyone does it. This episode is brought to you in part by DelightCafe.com. Calm and balance. Hemp CBD dietary supplement has all the natural properties without the high of feeling of THC. I use it all the time, so I'm so calm. And as you see me early without my CBD supplement, I put it in my coffee on some mornings. I've even mixed it with ketchup and ate fries with it. Uh, great feeling without the high of marijuana or THC. Go to delightcafe.com and also save 10% by entering the promo code BRUTON. B-R-U-T-O-N. My last name is the promo code. B-R-U-T-O-N for 10% off at delightcafe.com. Also, I'd like to give a big shout out to silentfortuneapparel.com. It's a new streetwear brand I've been rocking. Uh, They have sweatshirts and hoodies I wear a lot. And they have t-shirts available on the website, silentfortuneapparel.com. The brand is dope as hell. Uh, It stands for Silent Hustle and Quiet Grind. That's Silent Fortune. Uh, Also follow them on Instagram, Silent Fortune Mafia. And SilentFortuneApparel.com gave me a promo code. It's Bruton. It's B-R-U-T-O-N. Enter that for 10% off on your purchase. Let you check out. Uh, Rock that new sweatshirt. Even tag me in it if you want. Or also tag Silent Fortune Mafia on Instagram. Um, You know, check them out. And now enjoy the show. On this episode of Friday Late Show, we have a very good friend of mine named Raj Shiresh. Um, he's not from America, but he's he's one of the better American comics I've met. <laughs> uh, he's from India, uh, and actually, before this was right before COVID, and he had just lost his visa to work in Ohio, and he was moving to New York. And uh, we talked about a lot how he got from India to moving to go to Penn State, and then just working and getting into the comedy scene in Arkansas. Like the man is a very well traveled person, a uh, great friend of mine too. Uh, we talked more about his life and him dealing with comedy and the bombs he's dealt with personally more than actually just being on stage and bombing, but it's still a great story. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Welcome to this episode of Friday Late Show. Uh, This is your host, John Bruton. Uh, This week, I'm with my very good friend, Raj Shiresh. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah, we were just talking about shit, arguing about everything else. Uh, <laughs> this episode, I mean, the show is about bombing. Um, but before we get to that, let's tell everybody who the fuck you are. Sure. You oh, you want me to do it or you're going to do yeah, it? Yeah, you can. I'm not going to um, talk for you. My name's Raj. I'm a stand-up comic. I live in Cleveland. Uh, you're talking I'm, to me. Not a, You're not doing a presentation. Just talk to me well, and tell okay. me. Well, you already know. That's why I'm, t- I'm oh, telling you. Just like, um, I am. I keep um, but yeah, moved here, what is it now, a year and a half? A year and a half from Arkansas. Uh, and I've lived all over the United States at this point. I think I count five cities in the last 10 years. So Pennsylvania, Dallas, New Jersey, Cleveland, 
Yeah. So okay. So four cities. What part of Pennsylvania? Because that's a state. Yeah, uh, state college. Um, you know, <laughs> I know why I always say Pennsylvania? Because it sounds cocky. Like I don't know why. I feel like an asshole saying where I went to school. Because I went to school at Penn State, and some people think that that's a good school, and some people think that that's like a better school than. I mean, I don't think it's a bad school, but when I went yeah. there, the people I was surrounded by. Me and all my friends were dickheads. Oh, so what's every college people? Like my friends, uh, one of my friends, she's a professor there, and another of my friend works in State Park, which is close to I uh-huh. guess, the same city. But she works some. She don't work at that school. She works for elementary school. But yeah, I know the area. Right. Um, so are yeah. you from here? Because you didn't say that either. <clears throat> right. So I actually grew up. I'm Indian. I spent zero through three there. Moved to the Middle East. And then when I was like 15, 16, Arab Springs was starting to take off. And so we, I went back to India for two years. Mm-hmm. So and, and then I ended up here for college when I was 17. Mm. And that was a long time. It feels like I was looking at pictures today of myself from 12 years ago. From my initial filing for like a visa for the United States. Uh, all the hair was on the other side of my head. No less than like 10 people have reminded me of that. They've seen the before and after pictures. Mm-hmm. That's the worst part about being bald is just it is uh deformity is the wrong word but it's like a physical it's a physical state that people feel very comfortable mocking openly <laughs> like because it doesn't hurt yeah, yeah unless I mean, you have you know cancer but even then that means you lost weight too what yeah it, okay. <laughs> if, you, if you if you pop up skinny and bald the yeah. joke stop right if you pop up bald with a beard they're like oh okay uh, i also think it's when, like, if you lose uh, your eyebrows as well. Right? Oh, you're done, yeah. So, like, uh, alopecia. Depending. Black people will still fuck with you. Really? We don't care. Yeah. Like, you could be dying. We're going to still crack jokes. Like, right. we, we deal with humor. We have to have humor. Indian people will do that until the point where it's like, oh, yes, yeah, so you can let me marry your daughter, and then they're, like, quiet. That's funny. Yeah. they're they're. <laughs> it's all fun and games until it's like, oh, this guy might be a relative. So how did you get into comedy? Because Indians don't really have... Because you're first generation. No, you're not even first generation. No, you're, you're original. Yeah, I'm the real deal. Yeah, you're Immigrant. the first. Yeah. Um, I got drunk. I got very drunk with a buddy of mine. So I remember this. So I had always had an inclination towards trying to be the funny kid in class. I took a improv class, I think, sophomore year of college. And I, I got a B in it, I want to say. Um, but I, I realized immediately, like I wanted to do something creative and I was always in that space, but I just didn't want to do anything. I didn't do good at improv because I felt like it was just, it required a lot of character commitment that my ego wasn't allowing me to do. So then, yeah, I, um, it was a couple years later, I got super drunk with a buddy and I'd had jokes floating around my head for I don't know. I'd never penned anything down officially, but a couple years and yeah, I just went up at an open mic, did 15 minutes, uh, thinking that I think at the time I w- I'd been so hammered that I was watching somebody like what I thought they were doing was taking pictures. And really what it was, was the MC lighting me and oh, I just ignored funny him. As fuck. just kept going. I was like, man, I'm really crushing it. This, this dude is taking pictures of me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I got off stage and he was like, yeah, that means you've, you've gone on for way too long. So, yeah. yeah. I would have cut your mic off. Yeah, I don't know if they had this. This this was an open mic that was in a coffee shop that's now a Taco Bell. So they, uh-huh. I don't think they had the tech set up for like a mixing booth of any that's kind. Funny. It was like a plugged into a PA, I'm pretty sure. I know some people that are, uh, I met a few people that are, in, a few Indians, yeah. and they don't really have the luxury to express themselves and follow what their passion might be. Right. It's like, yo, your parents told you you're going to either be this, this, or that. Right. Uh, it's like fuck. You yeah. see an Indian doing some shit that's not in that those three 
places, you're like, okay, you're not a doctor. Right. You're not an engineer. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the United States visa law or immigration law basically means that if you're Indian, you do things there aren't enough Americans to do, right? <laughs> Which is why, like, people are always like, oh, Indian people really like being engineers, doctors, and lawyers. No, we really like doing STEM occupations. Mm. So science, tech, engineering, math, or medicine, because that's how you get to work here. And that's pretty much it. Like if you go, that's the funny thing. So I did some time in South Africa in February. I was doing, um, I did 10 shows in a row and I was doing jokes about Indian stereotypes as they persist in America and all the Indian dudes in the crowd weren't laughing. And so I spoke to them after one of those shows and it was so interesting. They're like, yeah, our families have been here like a hundred plus years in South Africa because a lot of them escaped like British colonial India set up shop in, in throughout Africa, but South Africa um, has a pretty good Indian population. And these guys were like, yeah, we're like, one guy was like a, a painter, another guy was a dancer. Uh, the third guy was a surgeon. I was like, oh, you fit. Um, that would make me light up. If I yeah. had, if black people had just three jobs, which we kind of have that now. Yeah. It's a like entertainer, athlete. It's funny There's because- not too many other things. Like we have other things, of course. We do, we try to cover every spectrum, uh-huh. but it's like, those are the ones that you kind of see get, pushed in front of kids to do more of is to be mm-hmm. entertainers or athletes. There's a lot of that pushing shit now, especially because yeah. it's a quick, it's more money to try and get to get that whole wealth ideal that we're sold now. Yeah. You, I mean, even in India, so although you have freedom of choice back home, mm-hmm. there is a definite pressure for every person to have a degree of some kind that's not, I mean, you don't, it's very rare to see parents just being like, yeah, go, go be a singer. Mm-hmm. It's a career path with no salary, no union for the most part. No, there's no real worker rights. Mm-hmm. If you make it, you make it. But like in India, even successful actors and stuff, they all graduate with a bachelor's degree. Some of them have a master's degree. Yeah. So at any point of the dream falls apart, you're still employable. That's the part I wish we taught more about yeah. as far as blacks. Um, we get like a black women. They mm-hmm. got it. They figured it out. They're doing everything. Megan Thee Stallion's mm-hmm. fucking in nursing school. So it's like, yeah. Right now? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Like, she doesn't have to do this shit. But she's right. like, yeah, I'm not going to do this shit forever. She just knows future's real and this shit's fickle. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, kids are told, oh, man, college is not for everybody. Right. When it's like, no, it, it actually is every, it's for everybody. It's, right. college. It's, it's a kid like you in college right now. Yeah. Same reading level. He can't read out loud still. That's not a part of it. It doesn't reflect your intelligence. Mm-hmm. If you can't do public speaking, you're not gonna be able to read out loud in front of a room full of peers. Like, isn't this uncomfortable? Right. But we just we're we're, we're told different things. Like it's being, interesting. Uh, why, but why do you think? Where does that come from? Man, I hate to say it like this, but a lot of it comes from systematic racism. Yeah. And the slavery made you feel like being smart is white. Talking huh. talking proper English is white. Anything that's kind of correct in America is white. So if you're black and you want to stay black. You don't fuck around with certain things. Hmm. Like, I've never heard a phrase that was very, yeah, it's very articulate. Um, we even get told how to like, even if you think of certain jobs, yeah, in America, you're conditioned to believe it's white person, right? Whatever the job title is, I can just say I have a doctor. Mm-hmm. You're gonna think white until I say I qualify within the race. If I say, oh, I have a black doctor, Indian doctor, uh, Korean, whatever, I, if I don't qualify, it's six right, white. Right, right. A cop pulled me over, white. <laughs> I have a dentist. <laughs> White teacher, okay. white you just, uh, jobs that you hear. There, there's imagery, white. yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, and you just think white. It's conditioning. You just think white. Well, it's funny. Uh, growing up, so my dad is one of eleven kids, right? So uh, a lot of uncles in the family, and so we were the quote unquote foreign kids, right? So mm-hmm. um, NRI is the term, non-resident Indian, um, and they would make fun of either your accent because when you spoke your 
native tongue. And luckily, I I was raised in a house where we spoke all we spoke Hindi, Tamil, and English. And my mom um, grew up in a region where the enunciation was perfect. So there's never like an awkward. If you imagine, like, have you ever seen a person that speaks Spanish grammatically correct, but with an American accent? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Indian kids that speak Hindi with an English accent, and it just sounds really wrong. Like, it, <laughs> and so families will make fun of that. Yeah, and it's it puts these kids in such a bind. You don't see it until years later, right? Because they have all this money, but they're too Indian to be, let's say, English or American. <laughs> And too American to be Indian. Mm-hmm. And so they straddle these two worlds. And so that's the most awkward thing for me now is th- my family, my extended family, I've never really put my stand up in front of them. Um, and now slowly some of them are starting to discover it online or find it on Spotify or find it wherever. And Same I don't. Same plug. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring it up at the end again. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how they feel about listening to my accent the way it sounds now. And I think some part of me can't can't really pay too much attention to that the funny thing is josh morrow has been around me right so uh, for those of you listening josh is a great comedian lives here in cleveland uh my sister called me mm-hmm. and so when we speak to each other we still speak in english we'll blend other words and they're from other languages but when we speak in english our accent changes i don't know why but we have an indian english accent mm-hmm. and then when we speak to americans it switches back and we don't notice that we're doing it you need to talk to a black man in America, right? <laughs> what? Oh, the, like the code switching thing? Yeah. Is that what you're, okay. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I know I'm, I'm familiar with your, uh, with your plight. <laughs> I didn't say nigga on stage um, until three years ago. Okay. So the job you see now is me more than it was maybe three or four years ago. Mm. I was talking to a comic and he was like, how come you don't talk like this on stage? Right. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want maybe make people uncomfortable. Hmm. He said, for what? It's funny. All right. That was it, and and then you felt what like? I just stopped. I went up the next the next set because we we had two shows on Friday. We yeah. were talking at a bar, Louis. Then we went a Saturday show. Right. I just didn't. I dropped the "I hope you guys like me" attitude and was like, yeah. a, "Fuck it, here we go." Right, and that worked. And I've been doing it that way where I can deliver better material that way because I don't have to worry about. Here's a little bit about me because I never took the the comedy class. I just right. studied comedy when I watched it. I would watch specials. I would watch it live. I would watch shitty open mics. I would watch mm-hmm. uh, great independent shows and just watch and wonder like and deconstruct the formula of funny. Right. Like why is that joke funny? Was it his face he made after the punchline that was kind of weak, or was it the anticipation that they were waiting being quiet for so long that they finally got a joke? Mm-hmm. Like was it a real good joke? Like what made them laugh at that? Huh? Yeah, I just I don't know. I I think about. I've watched you on stage a bunch of times now, and the part that always I enjoy watching, I like you. How many times do I repeat the same joke, though, my <laughs> nigga? How many times do I repeat jokes? I, I've I've seen your sets very. Oh yeah, my set. Oh my set. Yeah, like yeah. you seen me at the one show I loved when I just, I just talked about fuckboy probation. We yeah, were at I, Dina's. I don't, yeah, I think it Dina's might have been. pizza was like I just did that shit because it was on my heart. I had a first date with a girl, and she's right. like, "Well, I don't I don't know about you. I you kind of on fuckboy probation." And we just broke down with that. Man. We defined it more than just a funny term. We made it a thing. Right. And I went on stage and just explained it to people. Yeah. I, but, no, I, I enjoyed, I liked watching, I think I like watching in, in a similar vein, right? You, Brett Thomas, uh, Joe Graham, um, Steve Merz, guys that are just, I, I, I think you guys all told the line where it, it could go disastrously wrong, right? If you and if you're a one-liner comic, that's the, I think the difficult part is if you fuck up a one-liner, 
um, I think you get one chance, right? Because there's no more tags within the joke. There's no other lines. That's the whole thing. So if you fuck it up once, I guess you could like try to sell it by being like, hi, you guys really hated that or whatever. But I don't know how many outs you get. And then I've watched you where I think you have a a knack for really walking a tightrope between, um, I don't know, I guess, material that is true and authentic to yourself. And it can get, disastrously uncomfortable if you don't pull it off and i've i don't think i've ever watched you just bomb out on a joke which is i think that's the hardest part you know i'm trying to work that out for myself right now because i think to some degree some of the stuff that i do hits because there's a level of hackery to it um is it hack or common there's two different things hack is i don't i don't think it's common and i don't think the punchlines are um I don't think the punchlines are easy to predict for an audience. Mm. I think if you're a comic that's brown, maybe, right? We have similar approaches to to jokes, um, but, no. but not all of us. When yeah. I say when I say common, I mean common idea. Not everybody says it, but everybody gets it because it's a common idea we all understand. Like you don't have to give too much shorthand description for right. this, this line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an easy joke. Is common. They're not the same. Like I, I try not hacking. to. Yeah, but I I try not to put myself in a situation where I have to context set a ton because it burns time. And if you're a newer comic in a city, you're mostly running five to ten, maybe fifteen, maybe twenty minute spots. So the the longer you have to set up a story and the characters, you're just burning seconds. Um, so I like I do that joke about like playing a casino and the guy in the front row hates my my set and he's like i'm indian too i didn't get any of the punchlines and i go okay and he goes yeah i'm cherokee what are you um there's there's no context setting but then i have to still add to that joke from that point for it to not feel hackish shit right so it's not hackish because everybody can't say it that's why it's not hacky hacky is anybody go on stage a stepdad of seven Right. can go on stage with his fucking New Balances and his fucking polo hmm. and say your jokes and still get the same reaction. It's hacky. Right. If everybody gets it, like when you say, can I say a joke? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, go for it. So you do the whole, um, he's like, I'm Indian. Yeah. Two, and you're like, red dot or feather. No, uh, he's, I mean? yeah, you know he's I mean? the one that goes, he goes, oh, you're a dot, not a feather. Mm-hmm. And I go, um, don't say it like that. That's it's really racist. And then I go, uh, I'm a computer Indian, not a casino Indian. So I think like the doubling down on the ignorance, flipping the character back and forth is what I'm using to affect there. Because yeah, you go common, which is red dot or feather. Jay Z said in the line, yeah. it's a common ignorant racist thing. Right. But you don't stop there. That's well, where you like it right. gets. It goes. This could be hack, right. and then it's not. So yeah, it's not hacky. It's just common. Like I do, just where it starts off like. It could be what you think, mm-hmm. but usually I go as close to the ground to bomb it. Not bomb it, as close to the ground as you know what I'm going to do. Yeah, and I just go totally left. I love to go left on jokes. Yeah, I think you remind me of those uh, those fucking air show planes where they just stall out <laughs> and they dive and then they flatten out twenty feet from the ground. That's it's what fun. it feels like. It's fun, like the. It's a great ride watching you on stage. Honestly, uh, I did the knock knock joke. Uh, I do it more common now. Before I used to do it as like a just to see if I can get away with it. Yeah. Now it's a good transition. Right. And I like to just do it. It's weird, but but living in Cleveland and working out here, I think it taught me, it made two parts of my game a little bit better. One was crowd work, just because you get up so much more. I think the other was less racially based comedy. And I think maybe the, maybe the final one uh, is like manipulating silence 
really well. So like I've watched Bill Squire do this a ton. Like he's great at just pause, especially when he hosts like stand and deliver. Like he's great at just pausing, playing with expression in the pocket, and then he'll just have something. I don't know how the fuck. I've watched you do that too. And like I've watched Josh Lawhorn do it. I've watched a ton of comics on this scene that are really, really good with their timing. Liz Blanc is great with time. I mean, it's like a laundry list of people that I enjoy learning from uh, just because it's like one of those things where you're like, I, I wouldn't have thought to do it that, that way. way. Yeah. yeah. I just, and I think a lot of that comes from when I lived in Arkansas, I was playing one show a month and I would usually end up headlining it, right? And I would do a ton of time. And when that's a luxury, like you, I guess you can play with silence and all these other fucking things, but the reality still is like you don't have as many at bats. So every single joke, every single time you're trying to crush so that that audience wants to see you one month from today mm. versus Cleveland where you go up five times and know that, hey, there's you still have another chance tomorrow. Yeah. Different room, new crowd. One thing I've learned over a couple of years with living here in Cleveland is um, you work away from the city. Yeah. Like I'll go, it's a couple of rooms I like to go to that aren't in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And I'll do like 15 minute spot, 20 minute spot, they like me. 30 minute spot in one, sp- one space, I can do 30. Two space, I can do 30. They'll let me do like 30 minutes to work out stuff. Then I come back and I work on it. Cause I cut all the fat off right. and I make it for Cleveland. Cause there, they're ha- everywhere else is happier. Right. When I come here, I cut the fat. So mm-hmm. I make it fat. I have a fat, juicy burger over here. Yeah, yeah. Then I come here and make it impossible burger. Yeah. Take all the f- bad shit out of it. Cause here is still very segregated. I grew up here, so I know Cleveland's white and black. There's nothing else. Mm-hmm. It's white, black, and other. Yeah, they don't really know people. Like they don't really know Korean versus Filipino as far as the difference in the faces. Got they can't it. tell um, if somebody Indians is from Pakistan. Middle Eastern. Yeah. yeah, like um, I was a guy to show you last night at a uh, grog, mm-hmm. Indian. I yeah. can tell by his face, his skin complexion, his hair, his demeanor was very right. st- stood upright. Was very happy. It's a different demeanor. Than, <laughs> That's not a, is no, that an Indian no, no, thing. We stand you know, upright sometimes. Um, when you're Middle Eastern Muslim, yeah. they're not really uh, by themselves having a good time like out and about in a weird same with white people. It's just a weird like seeing a black person. They don't really you can tell when somebody black has been raised around white people versus raised in mm. around black people because he'll do some type of thing that's like you got a lot of white friends. That's an interesting take because sometimes I wonder the same shit about myself. I'm like, what am am I doing shit that I don't I don't know what uh I would do. I think if I had more I don't know. I've but that's the thing. You're the, white friendly but not you're not trying to be so you're you're, you're white just, acceptable not white friendly. You don't you're not trying to be a white friendly person. You're just Yeah, I mean I'll get along with whoever the fuck. Like, yeah. it's fine. It's you're yourself a, though. That's the thing. Like you are just you. So you're happy and you're happy about whatever. Like, hey, you wanna do this? Yeah. And you're just talking to a person. You're so a person. Sometimes people are race. Where where I grew up, the Middle East, I grew up on a tiny, tiny island, right? It's like the size of two counties. It's 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 a speck in the Persian Gulf. But there were Arabs, British, Irish, Indians, every religion. Like it was so diverse. I didn't realize it until really until I got to America. I was like, man, I've grown up like, like a third culture kid my mm-hmm. whole life. Like I've never really, when I went back to India when I was like 15, that was kind of a shock for me for the first time. So like the whole fucking Arab Springs kicked off. And I don't know if you remember. Okay. So like when, when the uh, first Gulf War started, one of the, one of the biggest um, 
areas of strife was obviously Kuwait, right? And Indians were caught up in all of that. So as Arab Spring started to spread, my dad was like, all right, like that wasn't such a good time for Indian people that were stuck in the Gulf, couldn't mm -hmm. get out, couldn't fly out. I mean, we were basically stuck sure. in somebody else's civil war to the, to the point where anytime I leave America, my dad is like, have a thousand bucks in cash in, in case you need to fly mm -hmm. from a different airport into, you know, somewhere where you didn't plan. Um, and he's also used that at times to like push me to get married. He's like, well, if you had a ring on your finger, you could pawn that. I'm like, all right. That's funny. <laughs> Do you think people get richer when they get married? I don't think that's what happens. Okay. Um, Marry Very a rarely. Marry a black woman. <laughs> Marry a black woman. She would make sure you make more money. Yeah. I mean, I think Indian women are the same in, in I mean, like I my, believe so. my, my dad was like, yeah, I had no, I was enjoying my life. And then your mother was like, you need to be more ambitious. Mm -hmm. um, women give you ambition. I, yeah. Uh, story for another time. But yeah. I've been, for every woman that I thought might have deterred me from comedy, I've had uh, another one that was pushing me to do more. Mm. So like one's like, oh man, why are you always doing that? How much right. you get paid for that? That ain't enough. Another one's like, yo, you you in the house? Why don't you go to the you ain't going to the club tonight? You here on a Friday or a Saturday? You're in yeah. the house? Like, you ain't yeah. going to watch a show or nothing? Not working. Well, let's go see comedy. Let's watch this on Netflix. It'll be a comedy. What they want to watch a special. Right. right. So it's like that's good. You should have hung on to that one. I don't know where you. They're still all around. No, uh, no, I'm fucking around. <laughs> oh, you got in trouble um, for that stupid shit earlier. So we moved, uh, but it was just me, my mom, my sister. So mm -hmm. my mom and my sister stayed in the city. I stayed on uh, at the on-site hostel, 70 dudes in there. I mean, it, it honestly was, it sucked, right? Because like I went from, hey, like all four of us live under one roof, great school, uh, all my friends are here to like, oh, I, I live in rural Bangalore uh, in a tiny dorm where the food sucks. The, the dorm was nice. The school was great. I, I think the experience of separation was a weird one. And then the second part was now I'm surrounded by kids that have been in India their whole lives. Like they know how this operates. <laughs> and instantly, like I remember going to classes and students being disruptive and that was never how I'd grown up. Like I grew up where the community was so small that if you were acting like an asshole, everybody knew it ref reflected badly on your parents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, I miss those days where like you you were, you represented your household. Yeah, not an individual. So many right. kids are individuals without any fucking idea what the fuck that really means. Right. And we just say, oh, well, he's expressing himself. How yeah. he doesn't even know how to spell it yet. He's fucking <laughs> yeah. four. Um, There's too many syllables. So for me, that that diverse background, I think, is and the travel really is what opens you up to being flexible with people, no matter where they come from. So I, hope. I don't know. Trap. What's that fucking Mark Twain quote? Travel is fatal to prejudice or some shit like I that. I didn't read Mark Twain. That's what he said. Tra Nigga Jim. Travel was... is fatal to prejudice or some shit like that. Marcus Twain. Oh, well, Nigga Jim made me write him off kind of quick. <laughs> like reading this, no. Nigga Jim. Hmm, okay, this is fun. Then you see the movie with Courtney Vance. You're like, damn, that's Nigga Jim? Okay, this is different. Wait, who's Courtney Vance? He is uh, Elangela Bass's husband. Oh, okay. He had a movie with uh, Elijah Wood. He was Jim. Huh. He was the, the, the pregnant pause. He was Jim. Jim. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I was surprised to hear you call this Friday Late Show. I thought you would have called it Bombcast or something. Nah, man. Uh, it's to pay... You know, respect to the comics before yeah. me. Like, uh, the fact the Steve Martin quote is so heavily quoted after a bomb. Yeah. Especially after the Friday Late Show. And was it Friday well, Late Show or Saturday yeah, Late Show? Friday. Friday. Friday Late Show is the worst show in certain places. And it's funny because 
every club doesn't have a Friday Late Show. Right. Like the Friday Late Show is just a fun show. Mm-hmm. It's not all booze, but the right club, yeah. you fuck this shit. Like he's yeah. like, man, I got to serve my time. Tired people after a full work week. Oh, man, you start asking Boozy. the MC, you want to switch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've actually seen that happen once. It's insane. I would never switch, but I would definitely go with uh, open eyes. Like the first show, I wouldn't drink anything. I'll drink coffee, yeah. water, like tea, regular mm-hmm. shit, nothing with alcohol in it until after the Friday show, last show Friday. So I'm I'm totally in the moment of everything. Mm-hmm. So if I see that, I'm telling a story or starting a story and they don't give a fuck. Right. Like the first tag I say and it gets like, huh. That's what you call for a drink? I, no, I start realizing, okay, this story has to get cut to no fat. Yeah. Just fuck the fluff, go right to the point the point of the story and try another subject. Right. Yeah, but if you're kind of drunk or you feeling yourself, you're in a too good of a mood, you're mm-hmm. not hearing shit. You're too good of a mood. You're like, well, how I am. I'm yeah, always, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm euphoric, I'm happy. So I might hear any laughter and think, yeah. Yeah, you're that person that walks up to people going, happy Monday, and they don't feel it. Mm-hmm. They're like, fuck you. Like, just get through this next hour. You can't be too happy. Yeah. It's like, it's like I can't even, <laughs> it's like being, having a payday and all your friends don't have jobs. Right. And you're complaining about the taxes that came out your check and how much you really could use that money. Right. But you got to wait till April and they're like, I don't have lights. I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't get a call back for my third application. Like, well, you doing a lot of dumb shit, but you can't even have a conversation with them because right. they want to hear you. Because uh, I know we actually have mutual friends. It's random as fuck. Fuck segues. Um, you know a couple comics I know. I look up to like I look up to Maranzio Vance is like yeah. one of my favorite comics. Um, Maranzio is a great guy. Holly Lene is one of my favorites. Holly's going down to Bentonville in like a month or two. Was he? Was I don't know where Bentonville is. Oh, Arkansas, where I used to live. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like those two, like I saw Maranzio shouted you out on Facebook. Yeah, I think um, we did a. F- we were on the same festival in Tulsa. Uh, this was going back like, I want to say almost three, four years at this point. It was me, him, Byron Bowers. And what was trippy is like, Maranzio knew even then about like the Greenwood Massacre, which isn't uh, a well-publicized thing. Now it is because Watchmen uh, has come out, right? Um, but at the time, like the Tulsa race riots took place in, I want to say the 20s. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but it I think did. I want to say it was the 20s. Um and Maranzio knew about that. And him and Byron were having like this great discussion about it. And I was we just, all know about it. Yeah. But what was surprising to me is like, for me, I lived in Arkansas. Tulsa is a two hour drive. I hadn't really, the first time I ever heard about it was when I literally saw the signboard that like, you know, how they have plaques around cities. And they mm-hmm. were like, yeah, that's the first time I ever heard about it. Mm-hmm. Before that, no idea. I mean, I, like the Brady Theater sits right there. And I think at a, it was it was one of the buildings that was there like during all of that. Um, and it was just weird to me, like how this big event took place, how it was such a thriving community, uh, especially for black people. And I'd never heard about it. Rosewood was the same thing. And black wall street. Like it's certain things that it's a whole, this ain't the type of podcast for that. Yeah. But things that have happened to black people in this country are to whatever. I, I don't have race conversation with white people. Because right. a white person gonna is gonna say something offensive to me, and I'll be done with the conversation because they're too ignorant and they have their own perception. Like, well, why can't black people? That's not my place to answer. <laughs> Actually, ask your neighbor hmm. why can't white black people do some shit? Because we've tried to live in certain neighborhoods. We we worked. We did everything we we're supposed to. If we like the, the voting was a big deal in yeah. uh, in the fifties mm-hmm. and forties. It was we would try to vote. Then it's like, oh, you got to fill this form out. 
It's giving her a citizenship form of things that like who was the seventh president. It's like huh. off the top of my head, like I know all this shit right now. Right. Uh, well, you pat you you failed the test. Right. You can't do it. Here's yeah. a precalculus test. This is the vote. If you pass this test, you can vote. Mm-hmm. Things like that, or you don't have all the paperwork. It's always moving the goal line for black people, no matter what the fuck we do. So whenever I hear people say, "Oh, I didn't know," like we was talking about um, the movie just came out, Just Mercy, about the yeah, guy, about, about uh, the the lawyer. I want to say what's his name, Brian Stevenson. Am I getting that I wrong? Brian. I mean, it was. I don't. The story is not to me. The story wasn't so amazing because I've heard about it before. Like yeah. a black man going to jail and finally getting out is a great thing to hear about, but him going to jail is the problem to me. So the story kind of doesn't really hit me like it could because mm. I'm not seeing it with white eyes. Was like this really happened to a man? I'm like. They picked this one out of all the stories. Like, right. it's not the first time a black man's been There's put in jail wrongly. Like, like right. we made it a comedy out of it. Like, it, it happened so much that life is a movie about two black men who got framed for murder for killing another black man by the police who serve life now. Hmm. And that's a comedy for us. One of our favorite comedy, two of our best comedian, comedic actors ever, Eddie Murphy and Lawrence, I mean, Martin Lawrence, yeah. are in this movie about two black men being framed for murder and going to do life in prison. That's wild, man. And that's our, that's our humor. That's how so I try to tell people, like, you think I'm too intense? Motherfucker, right. life is about two niggas serving life who didn't do a real, they did fucking moonshine. They were selling hooch. Yeah, that's not a, yeah. So it's like, man. It's a victimless crime. That's our humor. So we got to find, so we hear about all oh, the Oklahoma bombing. I mean, Oklahoma um, riots and shit. Yeah. Huff had a riot where cops was dragging pregnant women out of the fucking house, beating them. Mm. It's like, dude, this shit is like, it ain't new. We're not angry because we booga booga. We ain't, we're not breaking into white people's houses and stealing shit. Right. We're called criminals because we wanted to be free. Yeah, and, and that's the, uh, I don't know. I mean. Like how dare us? Obviously, it's not the same experience. Uh, oh, no, but you also have your stereotypes that you didn't even do shit for. But like, yeah, Indians have, Indians have uh, a long history with the British um, and a long history with you know, post 9-11 America treats us in similar ways as it would. I mean, they just, I think no. uh, it treated us and all brown people under the same blanket. Yes, um, that's the one thing. The ignorance in America is they don't care to know you're not what they said you were. But the irony is like now when I do comedy, I play up that trope and I rely on their ignorance and just spin it. Like, you know, I think it's pretty well established now that Indians and Sikhs and uh, Arabs and Arabs even within themselves are a very, very vastly diverse mm-hmm. series of nations and countries and cultures. Um, but Americans live in America. They don't live in the world. Yeah, that, yeah, that is a great point. Like, they don't really, like, you got to think, the average American, will nowadays, passports are trendy and cool. Mm. But they go to these places for the pictures, not to actually involve themselves with the culture or to learn yeah. much. Yeah, so whenever I ask people, and I've asked a lot of people this, obviously I hadn't, but dude, I mean, when people talk about their travels, it's backpacking through Europe, it's a mission trip where they were there for three weeks, it's never, hey, I just went and visited a normal city in what you would call the quote-unquote third world, I didn't try to save anybody, I didn't try to have Mm -hmm. a fucking emotional experience, I just went and tried to see what normal life was like. So when I went to South Africa, I started in Johannesburg. And everyone was like, hey, like that's a working city. Like it's it's kind of like friends that have been there that were like, it's like Jersey. I was like, okay, let's start there. Ironically, Johannesburg is where you discover a lot of the like the, the civil um, tension history that exists, apartheid history that exists mm-hmm. within South Africa. Johannesburg is just as pivotal. And then Cape Town is this like beautiful, 
uh, picturesque holiday destination. After four days in Johannesburg, I was like, I hit the point where I was like, man, I don't know how much more of this I can physically get through. Like the apartheid museum, dude, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, amazing collection and curation that documents the history of those times, but it is heavy. It's, it's, it's a heavy experience. And I can tell you that as somebody that was never subjected uh, to those things, right? Mm-hmm. What's odd is performing in South Africa, you like their words and what's offensive and what's permissible to discuss is so radically different. Their understanding of race dynamics, they break out. It, it Like America's like black, white, other, like you've described, right? But over there, it's there's like black, um, white, there's different tribes that you could be Malay, you could be Indian, mm-hmm. um, you could be mixed. So there's all these, 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 I mean, racial breaks on like anything I've ever seen. So after like three days of just eating shit on stage, I was like, why the fuck is this happening? And I started to figure it out. And I figured it out only because of the comics there. Like they're like, we, and you know, just like America, they don't want to show up with unsolicited advice. It wasn't like I, I hit the bricks two days in a row and I was like, guys, am I doing something wrong? They're like, look, first of all, you're brown, but you sound American. So that's confusing for them. <laughs> Secondly, you know, the stereotypes you're talking about don't make sense here. Mm-mm. So like- I'm only a nigga here. If, but I, I mean, think, I'm not, I'm, in, in London, I could be called something too, but it's not, that's what this country would make you feel like. That's what's happening. Yeah, I think the- to to speak with specificity to what I experienced over there in, in South Africa, it's I think they look at it like you are talking about an experience of an Indian man in America. Indians here are free. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Indians here are much more free than maybe even you are over there. And that was revelatory to me. This is the first time I met a bunch of young guys that um, there was no... I recognize within myself that I had automatically been thinking the whole time what the rest of the world thinks about what I'm doing and saying. Mm. They don't. Mm-hmm. They do to a degree, but they just, for the most they part, they're it. just operating. They're just like, hey, I'm a, yeah, I paint. <laughs> I, you know, the, the race dynamic plays in um, in several ways, but one of the biggest uh, things that I think influences South African comedy. And I would make jokes, actually. I'd just broken up with my girlfriend at the time. I was making jokes about, like, all of that. I would come off stage and people would be like, hey, great set, but are you okay? And that was so interesting and amazing at the same time. Because, like, here, like, you know, you laugh at people's pain. You understand it's part of the craft and art form. Um, But that was another thing that I learned really mattered. I don't don't know how many deadpan comics... um, you will see overseas. Like I look at the Indian scene. I don't see a ton of guys doing deadpan material. Um, I see a lot of guys using that animated, you know, very actionable style. And that seems to be what people gravitate to a good time. Yeah. People rather be, people have fun everywhere else here. It's, we play different emotions here. That's how we got to the outrage culture here because everybody kept being sad the whole time and hurt or going through something. People, I've seen people put many blogs about how um, comedy for them is a release. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, nobody in the NBA is playing the game to stay in shape. (laughs) So get the fuck off stage. Like, get the fuck out the way. Do this shit with your friends. Talk to your, be the funny friend, nigga. Don't be on stage. Like, you're, you're going in a formal manner to be a hobbyist. Right. 
So like that's arrogant as fuck. It's like I I can do whatever I want. Well, no, you can't. This takes talent, skill, and sacrifice. Yeah. And ten years to boot. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, people uh, try and do three year shortcuts. It's like nigga, you got Instagram followers. That's great. That's a part of it. That's fan base. Now, what you'll give your fans? I look at it like I understand what you're saying. Where you don't want people that aren't pursuing this with like a like a killer desire. Just be, don't get in the way. Getting in the way. Yeah, right? Do open yeah. mic, but do your do your show up, grow right. up, but don't fucking get in the way. If a real comic comes through, you're gonna get bumped, and that's just for what you're gonna do the same shit you did last week. This guy's working on some shit to try to do a joke because he's really inspired and has uh, he's an artist at this point. Yeah, I, I, the whole comedy is therapy thing. I can see both sides to it because I've been, um, I think I've been guilty of it, I guess. But I take it dead serious at the same time. And I don't fuck around. Like, I'm not going up there to speak for my health. I'm still working the bit. And that's some, the difference. Sometimes you're not like them. Then don't fucking try to defend them niggas. And you're not them. <laughs> I'm dead. No, I'm dead ass. Like don't try to be. I'm Mr. not trying to defend them. You're like, well, I get I'm both sides. I might fall They're into in the that fucking camp. way. They're trash. They're in the way. <laughs> if I read one more think piece about how I did comedy because I want to express myself, nigga, get a better hobby. Stop. Don't be in the way. You don't. Everybody doesn't do everything. Just no professional athlete picked up football or basketball mm. because they wanted to be in shape. None so of them. I take it that you won't be at the next Stormy Daniels show. No. Her <laughs> Nene leaks, all that trash. Like when, when bum ass celebrities fall like off. It, yeah, celebrities they, trying stand up like it's a, a just an easily doable thing. It is because they, they just want to, like the thing that the, is now a business. It's not, it never was really yeah. this true art, but it's more of a sell, sell it first, then worry about everything right. else later. So if I can sell tickets, I'll book anything. It's not like every comedy club is a haven for just pure comedy right. no we sell chicken fingers fries mozzarella, uh, sticks. mozzarella sticks we don't give a fuck about the comedy like most clubs don't care about comedy they're open because there used to be a restaurant that was had a horrible cook hmm. the food can suck if the jokes are good right so that's what most clubs are but there's a few good clubs that are straight good for comedy right but they're always is there some kids who want to get in the way? Like, oh, I want to perform there, but you don't really want to perform anywhere. Like, you go on stage, about, I'm not really a comedian. If I ever hear that shit, I'll fuck with the mics. I'm like, all right, nigga, you don't. <laughs> this show's for comedy, nigga. Like, I don't need you being a hobby. Do that shit somewhere else. Somebody wants that spot that's trying to become a comedian. Yeah, yeah. And you're up there just, you don't want to be shit. You just want to fuck around. You right. want attention. Yeah, I think, I think I've, um, I forget who it was, man. It was Charlie Wiener. That's who it was. Charlie mm-hmm. Wiener was playing Funny Stop. And uh, I was in town. This was like five years ago. I was in town for something. And I asked Pete if I could go up. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Um, but keep it clean. And he gave me all these rules, right? So, like, keep it clean. Keep it uh, tight five. Um, no cursing. No sex jokes, whatever. So, I go up. And I do all that. Come off. And Charlie was super nice. And I was like, just a quick question. I've been doing stand-up, like, two years at this point. I was like, how come you get to be dirty but i can't so i watched his whole set and you know at the end i asked him and he was like because i'm funny even without it i mean it was a good lesson for me to hear it at the time but i just look at it like man like if you can work clean you get a lot more work and even beyond that i don't know i I just i struggle to work clean here's my thing with clean you that shit used to work before you could say fuck on tv that clean shit is bogus 
You no, name. but not, but is it because look at radio play? You can get triple the airplay. We ain't nah, nigga. We talk about music. Don't do that. It's Don't not change. music. It's radio? not music. You talk about like Sirius XM. You mm-hmm. can get played on more channels, right? And Sirius XM, for, like I think in terms of payout, it's way, it beats Spotify, it beats all that other no, shit. Okay, but how does that but translate a, to clean? But from a commercial, because if you aren't clean, you can't get played on as many channels. Okay, literally, and but then, you can also sell shit because more people want to hear that. If you look at the top fair. top ten comedians working or making money, hmm. they're not clean. Yeah, that's fair. That like, this is point. not a clean decade. We're not a clean country. We're not a clean people anymore. <laughs> yeah. Fuck Although okay. I do, I will say- Niggas in Paris was the number one record. That's- <laughs> Stop fucking playing with me. Niggas in Paris was a fucking record. Grammy nominated. <laughs> Niggas in Paris. Uh, it wasn't, they didn't even cut the shit down to Paris. They did in fucking asterisk G-G-A-S. Yeah. So it could be Naggers and Paget? No, it wasn't that. It was Niggas in Paris. Hit record. Since then, we have not changed anything. Every movie has fucking, if it's rated R, you're getting three fucks out the gate. You're getting shot in the face. Right. Dramas on TV are, you rather they cuss than do some of the shit they do. Like fucking Designated Survivor, first three minutes, they kill everybody <laughs> in the goddamn cover. <laughs> The show is about a fucking mass murder that they blame on the Middle East that a fucking crazy <laughs> white guy did, and they never really addressed that fucking show. I watched the first 12 episodes yeah. on Netflix. It's about a fucking bomb going off in the Capitol, <laughs> and a white guy did it, and they're blaming, and they're, they're bombing the fuck out of uh, other countries. And it's yeah. like, huh, this is on TV, and it's okay. There's no apology for the country they bomb. Right. They have one meeting where the dude kind of threatened them not to say shit. It's like, what the fuck? This is, this is okay. Right, right. But if a guy makes a joke about jerking off, he can't work anymore. Hmm. Even though he's paying for this shit and his whole point of everybody loving him was being transparent right. and now that he's being transparent is not good enough because we want to be mad. We want to say, fuck you. We love saying, fuck you. I get why clean gets you a check because corporate people, they make you into a fucking puppet. That's, yeah. Clean will get you corporate work for sure. Yeah, but okay. You can be a corporate comic is fine. Right. Or you can be a comedian. I mean, I like to dabble in both, where I can play corporate, right? I get that. And yeah, and sometimes that's because it's fucked, man. Like, if <laughs> you can't go out there, play dirty, and make, you know, 10 bucks a spot forever, sometimes you need to pat it out. That's no, but you can get on. You can work in so many comedy clubs yeah. that come, and I don't, I'm not saying go up there and be the old Danju Dice Clay and say fuck and motherfucker for no reason. Right. I'm just saying that if you have a joke and you're an adult, and you use colorful language, it doesn't mean your intelligence is lower. No, and I, I don't think that uh, intelligence is equated by uh, profanity. Or, and I see all these fucking articles. Yeah. Some of them are like, uh, clean comedy is the best. Some of them are like, people who curse are more intelligent. I don't buy That's all that. bullshit. Yeah. It's not that. It's, a, it's what you know makes you intelligent. Yeah. And how you process your wisdom that you acquire, your experiences make you intelligent. Right. The way you talk about it is whatever. That's the style you talk. Right. When it comes to comedy, and if a club's like, oh, you got to be clean here, mm-hmm. it's a fucking B-level club. It's right. not an A-level club. It's yeah. a B or C level club. Any club you name me that says you have to be clean, B or C level. There ain't no nigga on TV who gonna take a week off of taping to be in that club for that tour. That's fair. So I'm like, I don't care about those clubs. I get it. When I'm on the way down, yeah. I'll, I'll do all that shit. But right now, I'm trying to get every good club. I'm trying to be around everybody right, who's right. doing the shit I'm doing. I'm not trying to be a friend or a fan of clean comedy. I get clean comedy exists. That's cool. Right. But I don't give a fuck about making my aunt laugh, nigga. Like... <laughs> The fuck she going? Her laughter is not funny. It's not even good laughter. It's, uh, the jokes. How can I be honest if I can't talk freely? True. 
It's fair. Like I'm supposed to be happy on stage talking about what my what my job? Well, this is my job. So when talk about comedy, all right, well, more comedy. Here's some more comedy about comedy. Like, yes, the fuck. Like, right. I'm not I'm me. I'm not gonna fake and be nice and like, oh, don't say that word. Well, I don't say motherfucker on stage. I say fuck, but I'm talking about the act. I say shit if it's it's a reason. I don't just I don't just have a cussing show. Right. But somebody who wants to try and discredit everything I just said and here's one cuss word. Oh, I didn't like that cuss word. Mm. We give the, the customer ain't been right so they couldn't fucking handle coffee. Right. When you gotta be told that the coffee's hot because of the cup, then you're fucking a piece of shit. Like fuck off. Or some audience members are just there to complain. Yeah, and I, I agree that comedy's gotten or audiences have gotten uh, almost hypersensitive. Oh, it's tribes. They and, want their tribe to be represented so much they forget that you can just listen to somebody talk. It's not about their race or gender. I find I find one thing very interesting in all of this is that the complaints. Um, I think if you were to sample a hundred people that were offended by comedy, I think you would find that Indian people don't rate on there at all. I don't think minorities would rate very highly in terms of of offendedness. As long as you don't call us niggas of color people, we don't really complain. uh, Yeah, and I think a lot of it is that, right? Like we've heard things that are far worse than, let's say, a characterization of somebody that eats gluten being bad or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I'm coming up with ridiculous uh, stereotypes. But I think some of the stuff that offends people, it got to a point where I do think society at large has identified that outrage culture as a whole may not be a fucking great thing. I think we do have a uh, scope to be more sensitive, but in a, in a comedy club environment, I mean, listen, I don't, did you, did you watch uh Chappelle's Mark Twain acceptance? What speech? do you think? Yeah, I think you did. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched fucking Neil Brennan's before like yeah. his behind the scenes shit and the thing he did on. But this, the part that stunned me about listening to Chappelle or it didn't stun me, but it's the part that I think I I've referenced to other people, right? Especially friends of mine that have found issues with things that comics have said or otherwise. I was like, listen to that bit where Chappelle goes off about, um, he knows how some people who do comedy happen to be racist. And sometimes he can literally sit back and appreciate the artistry of it. Um, it's weird because I've been in that, in that same mindset where I've watched somebody do a joke about Indians or whatever. And I'm like, when I can tell it's hack, I'm not going to laugh at it. But then sometimes it's fucking hilarious because they've got a take that is unlike anything I've heard before. And they're not trying to offend. They're trying to poke fun. Like I've seen a, uh, I saw a white woman do a joke where she patted her head and was, as she was popping gum, when she's patting her weave, like a black girl, Mm -hmm. she never says the girl she's talking about is black, but she does that to make, you know, she's talking about a black girl. To a black woman who knows that girl, she's offended because that's an insult because it's a it's a white woman talking bad like she should have better service. Mm. Like fuck you, we're tired of serving. They like you don't even say you're talking about a real person here, right? Or people like that, right. and that's the part where white people are like. Well, I was just making a joke. I've heard so many white men my first five years say that when they made when they try to say the n word because that's when Louis was really big and he was inspirational <laughs> to these crackers. And I said crackers on purpose, and they were. <laughs> These crackers were trying to say that. They were trying to say, nigga, every set. For two years, I had to live through this. I started threatening cats. Like, yo, if, I, if I'm in a room and we make eye contact because you know I'm in the room mm-hmm. and you say, nigga, I'm taking it personal because mm-hmm. your joke's not that good. There's no way you're going to be Louis in it. We don't even like Louis saying it, but we don't, we're not fans of Louis, though. Like, you're trying to push this right. inward envelope and nobody wants it. Well, you've seen Talking Funny, right? Yeah. It's uh, Louis, Louis, Ricky Chris, Gervais, Rock, Chris Rock, and, and Seinfeld. Yep. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading this, but Chris was in a very awkward position there because Louis says the N-word. Mm-hmm. 
And it puts Chris in this position where he either has to publicly no. reprimand this nope. guy. Nope. I'll tell you what it is. It was a comic talking about words. Is yeah, that, so that's outsiders, exactly what I mean. Outsiders will put race on that. As a comic and a black man, we do not put race over comedy. Right. And and I would say the same for Indian people, or at least from my perspective, yeah. right? Like, you can say f- some crazy fucked up shit about Indian people, but if you're trying to attempt to make a comedic argument, I can hear it. So yeah, I think that's the thing. It is a predicament because everybody watching it from the outside is going, why isn't Chris saying anything? Why is Seinfeld the one that but jumps not, in? Those people aren't comedians and they're not exactly. black and they're probably not even really into shit. They just want to complain about something. Like a lot of, when Black True was mad at it, right. they were nine years too late. And they, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're not comedians. So you're hearing comedians talk about comedy for other comedians to watch this podcast being live taped on HBO. Right. It wasn't for everybody to be approving. Like, you know, I mean, it wasn't for everybody's approval. Yeah. Some things so aren't I, for you. I, I tell everybody, like, oh, I like that joke. It wasn't for you then. They like, well, you've basically answered the question I was going to ask then, which is where is where is that right? right? Well, even if you hear Seinfeld talk on comedy and if cars, it ever is. yeah, no, his, his comedy with cars, comedy, the, the shit he does on Netflix. A comic, he was telling to a comic, said, "Yeah, this is who I am. When I'm at home, I'm faking it." Ah, that's people that's, think yeah. that it's the other way around. Like when you're on stage around comics, you're putting on a performance, right? He's like, no, I'm more comfortable in the skin Being of a this, comic. Yeah. It's honest. It's who I am. Mm-hmm. But my wife doesn't get jokes. She gets me. She loves me, but she's not a comedian. Right. That's every comic. It's like, yeah, comedy comes first. When we're talking about words, I, had a, I have a white friend mm-hmm. who's in the comedy circle. We were talking about hacky jokes, and he had said this. He said, that's his bad. We saw a comic on stage, and he was doing some hacky, horrible shit, and he said, that's like when comics put that niggas be like and bitches be like. His quote to me, mm. as a as a comic, we're talking about a specific style of jokes that were very prevalent on social media. People would put up niggas be like. Now, when you put that up and a white guy retweets it and says, wow, this is how they talk about themselves. And you try to be like, well, no, that's not for you. To-. No, no, no. You put it on fucking, you put it on the World Wide Web. Mm. So you can't control what they do with your humor. Now, talking to your friend privately, you can refer to that shit because he's quoting an actual thing that's out there. The style of joke of niggas be like is a thing. If you put the hashtag niggas be like, you'll get mixed signals now. You'll get some guys who are white making jokes about black people. Really? I have never, I haven't seen that. I'm sure it exists. White Twitter and black Twitter, both, if you can't have one without Uh, the other. This is why I don't tweet a ton either. No, but like, anytime you see some black shit, there's a white equivalent of the same, uh, okay, like passion the about same, the same issues, like the, the same, same meme. Essentially. Yeah, like if a black, if a black group of people are talking about an issue mm-hmm. and how it's fucked up, there's a white group saying that's how it should have been. Right. For every guy saying Trayvon was fucked up, I mean, there's every guy saying that George Zimmer's fucked up. Somebody right. saying Trayvon right. shouldn't there's, have been there. Yeah, yeah like those people exist because you have to exist. It's two sides. Right. It's two opinions, I should say. Mm-hmm. So yes, those jokes. If you put them in the world. The world can take them and now do what they want. Right. But when you do it, you better be right. Because if a white guy tries to do a nigga be like joke, he better hope his his demographic only sees that shit. Right. Yeah. And we can't control that because you'll find it. Not saying you, but like white people right. find the joke and then it's in their DMs and their group chats. We didn't create the group chats. It's just a thing. It's a function that everybody can use. There's a Facebook group for everything. Yeah, no. So for every group that's is. about comedy, there's a group that says, fuck comedians. 
Yeah, I mean that. I mean, is that vice? No, I'm no, but it's not like, you see what I'm talking about. It's always that extra. It's always it's a, America's full of feelings. Now we don't produce shit. We don't learn shit. We just have a bunch of emotions. Yeah, honestly, uh, you know, as a as an immigrant sitting here, I, I hate to say it, but I really agree with that. Why not? When when you watch people, I don't know. I I like Americans, right? <laughs> I like Americans as as people. Not all of them, but in general, yeah, pretty nice people. You get along with them, very tolerant um, for the most part. What I don't like is where America spends its money and where it tells its people to spend their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a it is the world's greatest game of what what do you call that? What's that thing they have at carnivals? Is it three card Monty? That's not even. Oh, that's thing. not. Um, that's it's not the shit that, with uh, the cups and the ball, right? Yeah. Okay. Where they just move the cups mm-hmm. around quick enough, and then you can never quite find out which cup the ball is under. Um, you look at spending. I mean, it's it's asinine. I don't know. I just I I think that this idealized you know uh, frontierism image that and and really like this image of like the American man being a tough pioneer. It's just it's it's been brandished for so long that I think that people just gravitate towards that excessive machismo, and it tends to override any kind of logical or rational thinking. This almost war with Iran was the first time I was actually very proud of most Americans for being like, "Hey, man, maybe." I mean, on both sides, mm-hmm. I can see people like, "Hey, don't please don't just." fucking just stop like America wants this America is the grandson of the owner that type of arrogance and comfort of taking credit for the other generations Hmm. shit and the other generations shit like you're we're not great we never were we've always put the image of greatness if you look at when they made happy days they made the show to make people feel like there was a better time See, but what interests me is uh, I came here for a reason, right? Um, you you saw, you know what it was? You saw the commercial and you went to go see the fucking shitty movie. fucking right. You, you saw the trailer. Uh, well, I don't, like, know if the movie was sh- I don't think the movie was shitty. I just think that uh, I saw the commercial and it offered me all the freedoms every American has. Then you get here, you get through four years of college and then they hand you a visa and they go, it can only do one, two, three, four, five things. And then you go, wait, but what if I want to do thing number six? They go, well, you can't do that. Mm-mm. So much in the same, you know, we discussed this, um, you're locked out from success in the way that you want it. You can have success. You can have money and wealth. Defined by someone else. Provided that you make sacrifices that, you know, uh, natural born citizens won't be asked to make. Um, White. White. Well, yeah. And I think that's the tough part, right? Is who's making the rules, how these rules are made for different communities. I had a friend pass away uh, three months ago, basically, mm-hmm. same age as me. We went to college together. Um, Jimmy was a black dude from from Philadelphia, and I couldn't help but he had, and we didn't know this about him, but he had scholarships to go to Penn State with us, and we already, we always kind of knew like Jim was a big a big dude, and he had some family troubles, and there's just this like haunting feeling that I that I keep having, which is like if he had grown up in a different place, or if he'd mm-hmm. grown up around different people. Um, if he if he had a, a background similar to mine, would he still be here, right? And I'll never know the answers to those questions, but I can make an educated guess, which is to say that if Jimmy um, was able to counter, so like him and I had 
I think somewhat similar mental health mm-hmm. issues, right? Uh, both a little bit anxious, both a little bit depressed, and we went two very different routes with it. Um, and I think for Jimmy, his passing had nothing to do with his depression, but I think his weight gain had very much to do with some of the things that come with that, right? Whether it's opting to go a medicinal route uh, or pharmaceutical route to treat yourself, mm-hmm. go to a doctor versus me where it's much more like talk to your family, yoga, meditation, run, fucking do everything you can to stay away from from what I consider the downsides of being able to study the back of a Zoloft label um, and he wanting was, to avoid them. He was black, right? Yeah, Jimmy was black. Um, there's a certain, there's a certain weird there's stigma, stigma that we get, and we yeah. discussed that too at length. And it was crazy to see this guy that I went to college with for four years. Mm-hmm. We were practically brothers, right? This like six of us, core group of friends, and Jimmy went, and I were. Um, we would, I mean, even when we went to one of our one of the other guys' wedding, we roomed together, and that was the first time we ever spoke about something that I knew had plagued him for almost three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, man, it was just so hard to get his guard down. Like, he just felt weird. He was like, Roger, like, I don't really want to talk. Like, you're one of my guy friends. Like, I'd rather talk about this with, like, my therapist. I'm like, dude, like, if you woman. can't fucking tell me, who are you going to tell? No, that's how you, and that's also a cultural thing. When yeah. it comes to black men, we usually, not always, there are some special cases, but usually we'll open up to women way more than we're open to men. Men don't talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I realized recently that men don't talk about sex. Like sexual stuff, yeah. The most we do is a. I, well, you do. <laughs> no, no, I made a joke about how when men talk about sex, it's a Cameron lyric. It's a song called mm-hmm. "Hey My," where the last line is "Yo L, what up? I hit what else? Plus don't say word. That's it. It's like I fucked. That's all we talk about, right? But then you actually, if you ever talk, I, well, I'll talk to a woman about shit that's happened, mm-hmm. and she'll be like, oh, "I dated a guy that liked to suck toes. She's only dated black men, so that means niggas got a foot fetish." But dudes don't really talk about these things. But if you go on a website, it's all white guys. It's like, yeah, I do this, I do that, that. We don't really talk about sex. We're still in this box of being extra macho and extra this. But we're also pitching her without having education to know what the fuck we're doing with it. Yeah, like, I'm a strong man, but okay, what am I being strong for? I don't know. It's image. I'm being, I'm being this image. But for what? What's the purpose of it? But is not talking about sex correlated with everything we don't have our comfort level to express ourselves doesn't go past the surface we don't open up to men we Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable around men because we're always in that space of do i can i trust him right because we grew up in a very tense environment yeah like it's always fickle like if if anybody ever asked me how to describe black life fickle as fuck as in no matter what's going on this shit could be gone tomorrow no matter who you are there's something that could fuck you up whether it's a rumor whether it's a police officer, whether it's a misunderstanding with another person that's not looking like you, like white comfort is way more important than black health. If a white woman complains about anything I do, I'm wrong. You would think I was a child, the way like you have uh, John. Yeah, yeah. Mulaney had, John Mulaney has a good joke about that, how he was a child, and no matter what he did, they would believe adults. Mm. We're treated like children. Even though I'm older than some white guy, some of these new white comics, they'll talk to me as if I'm their age in comedy or in life. Hmm. Like we're buddies, like we're equals. Like nigga, I'm ten years older than you. In any way you look at it, like I'm almost ten years in comedy, and I'm ten. You're twenty six. I'm a homeowner. I've done all the <laughs> shit you like. All the shit you talk about, like you can leave right now because you don't have shit to worry about, nigga. Like I got property tax. I got real shit. I got debt. I got. I still gotta pay some money. Mm-hmm. For money I made in last year in comedy. Mm. I got to pay money for making money in comedy. Right. 
because I do write-offs. I'm like, I ain't making that much. I ain't making that much. Are you deferring all your fucking income tax payments? I think there's ways to do that. Oh, there is, but we can. I'm not doing tax talk right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let me live somewhere. up my stereotype a little bit. Oh, please save it if you want. Yeah. Uh, we got to do, uh, we this is a lot of good shit talking. You talk about South African bombing, but we're going to get to the, how you feel Yeah, about I said, bombing. yeah, a lot of times when you're talking about black culture and life, uh, that's mostly just me agreeing with you, not being uh, like, oh, no, I or mean, plus, not agreeing, or it's like believe, affirming oh, I'm, not trying, I'm not arguing what you're saying. What you're saying is like wrong. It's just like, it's weird because no matter what, we both can get, we have stereotypes against us. Yeah. Like and I think always, there's commonalities that people forget. You got to prove you're not what yeah. they think you are. I got to prove I'm not what they think I am. Hmm. No white guys want to prove they're not shooters. Like their stereotype is mass shooter and terrorist, but we don't really have to really, they don't have to prove they're not. Yeah. I get, I get some nice stereotypes like uh good at math or trustworthy. And then I get bad stereotypes like uh, small dick. That's never a good one. I never heard of Indians, but I mean, I guess, you know, it is. I think that. Actually, you know what? I hadn't either. But then someone told me that. And then, like, I asked a bunch of other chicks and and they were like, yeah, I think I think that's true. And I don't know. Maybe they were just looking at me like, yeah, it's probably true. Because you asked the question. (laughs) It was like saying, hey, do you think that blankety blank has AIDS to be safe? I'm going to say, yeah. Yeah, it's a loaded question. It's yeah, a leading question. At, the question is bad. Like, do you think I'm bad in bed? Well, that's not, how do you think I am in bed? Right. There's a difference. You're well, giving to, them, uh, from a scale of one to seven, that's... You're giving them You're, you're giving objective. them the answer in the question Yeah. by giving it a negative thing. Like, how good do you think I am in bed? Now, that's a... You're probably pretty good. You probably know what you're doing. Like, that's a different context right. than asking a blank statement of, how do you think I am in bed? Right. Or asking, hey, do you have you heard Indians <laughs> have little dicks? It's either yes or no now. Yeah. You made it a 50-50 question on a very negative subject. Right. They yeah. didn't even have to find a way to get there. You gave them, hey, you want to you make fun of me? You want to hurt my feelings or not? And this is America. I'm hurting your feelings. You know what the fucking trippiest thing is? The worst stereotype for Indian people is that we're not Indian people. We're Arabs. Like, that's what they get. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like they discredit the, you. You, yeah. you don't exist here. You're not, you're not, you're well, whatever no, I say it's you that are. We're, it's, it's what you said before. It's like they take the crimes of uh, a handful of dudes from a smattering of different places, mush it all up. And then they're like, hey, you guys look similar-ish. So welcome to America. Some, your stereotype is them. <laughs> like, welcome what the fuck? Welcome to America. Indian people do our own terrible shit. You should give us well, India financial also crime. India has been ran through like a fucking, like a Macy's. Yeah, there's been a like, lot of different people that have owned it at, yeah, at like, different points, which fucking is... Doesn't make sense. People forget about that all the time, but Mughals, they French, Dutch, uh, English. Friends, like, friends did y'all the worst. Well, not the worst. They did y'all, they did a good number on you. The, and did uh, great. The Dutch and the... It, it was really actually the, the Persians that mm. had a long... A couple yeah, hundred like year occupation yeah, of India. The, and then the, Br- the British really, yeah, I think. Great Britain, they did a, um, they yeah. ran a lot. They, they were, they were the original well, gangsters. Well, they showed up, you know, like somewhere between, I think the 1800s is really where British India became a very, uh, that's not got more. That's where I know more about the history of India. Yeah. 5 million, four to 5 million people died in the West Bengal famine. One to 2 million died in the partition. Partition was in 47. So, when people are, I think, you know, you look at the Holocaust as being five, six million people. Yeah. Two million Indians died because they turned India, which was one, you know, one massive country into India and Pakistan, West and East Pakistan, which is now Pakistan and Bangladesh, and told people what was supposed to be a two-year drawdown and to allow people to sort of move. 
they did it in five weeks and they didn't hire anybody with the right experience. They hired a fucking architect to come through. And this guy just went, uh, if your county is more Hindu, it's India. If it's more Muslim, it's Pakistan. And then they just basically like turned everybody loose. Civil and communal riots break out, all kinds of shit. You know, suddenly occupying forces are all pulling out. I mean, it's the same as anytime you have one majority presence uh, mm-hmm. show up, control a different government, and then back out all of a sudden. It creates a power vacuum where people are going to not be able to control that very well. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I never figured that coming on a podcast about comedy would lead me to be talking about mass civilian casualties. Well, we're also minorities in a world that is... We don't really talk that much. Yeah. Like, think about this conversation. How many... <laughs> Black guys talking to Indians about their oppression, and you're like, "Oh, I understand. Trust me." <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a rare conversation. The irony is, so we talked about stereotypes a little bit. <laughs> when I was in college, the NAACP, uh, I was like the the president of it. it was friends with some friends of mine, mm-hmm. and they were looking for a new treasurer, and they literally they found me, and they put me in that position, um, and I was happy to do it. I learned a lot about. Uh, especially about the civil rights movement in America from being part of the organization. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I was like, wait, why did you guys pick me? They're like, oh, you're Indian. Someone said you could do math. And I was like, I'm a fucking marketing major. I've dropped math 110 two times at this point. But were you good at the job? I did balance the bucks out. Yeah, nigga, <laughs> so, hey. I don't it's know what the like, fuck happened. When they, somebody gives you credit, it's not the same as racism. Which is difference. Yeah, I'm I'm benefiting from there. Somebody saw me and said, hey, man, can you play basketball? I'm not going to be like, what, because I'm black? I'm also fucking 6'2", and, not, and I'm not a fat bastard. So, yeah, that's not a crazy question. Like, yeah, it's it's uh, you think it's a reasonable... Yeah, but, you know, you would never look at an Indian guy and be like, he can do math. No, I would. <laughs> Why? If he's in America yeah. and he's first generation, he had no fucking choice. His parents didn't let him do shit like that. <laughs> He didn't have the option to become an artist yet. Like y'all can't do that. First generation and originals. That is not I, wrong. As many first generation like immigrants I've dated, I realized that damn, you didn't even have a fucking option to be a dick. Yeah. Like, you can be lazy for shit. Like I'm doing comedy and blowing your fucking mind. Well, you got to be a doctor. Sometimes I see Indians doing like that, uh, you know, fell off the wagon and started doing drugs and shit. I'm like, well, at least he's breaking the stereotype. He's yeah. creating new ones for us. That's nice. I mean. It's, I mean, you it's think horrible for him. Native Americans got alcohol. It's like, really? You think that that's their thing? You think they just, they, they wanted alcoholism? Motherfucking. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, I they, think they're they, dealing with stress. They're coping because they have nothing else. Right. You put them on land like they're on timeout. Right. Either way, let's, let's get the fuck out of here because we're not going to talk about comedy. Anymore. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> shout out your social. Oh, that's it? We're not going to discuss comedy at all? We did comedy. You did we did some South comedy. Africa. Yeah, we talked about yeah, comics and how they look at it. And you got, I mean, if you look at all of that, it's pretty much covered. If oh, you yeah, look John at, has a list on this uh, whiteboard. Well, your favorite bomb, okay, I'll let you say the favorite bomb you, you uh, witnessed and who did it, and then... What do I get say? out of naming these people? No, no, you don't have to say, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say... No, if, I'll, well, if, is it... Mm. No, I, I can remember the, my favorite bomb that I've No name, then. Fine. No name. Because unless they, unless they can talk no, on the show. I'm, I'm, Are they from here? The comic isn't. <laughs> no, no, don't say his name. Because he can't defend himself and tell the story. It's not funny. Okay. Yeah. So no, no name. So I, this is going back to about, um, going back maybe, I don't know, four or five years. I was fairly young in comedy. I go out to do an amateur night at a club. Mm-hmm. Uh, pop up at the club, and the club owner gives us all the, the rules at the same time. You guys go up. Do your time. Come off when you see the light. Uh, no cursing. No notes. 
And those are rules I've played by pretty much my entire career after that, right? Um, just find it useful to operate that way. But the first guy goes up, he has his notes on a phone, he starts looking at his phone, and then like about two minutes in, he says the F word. And the club manager hops up on the PA and starts cursing this guy out while he's on stage. Um, it is bar on my favorite exchange that I've ever fucking seen. Like it, it was horrible for the guy and he came off like, damn, like I, I said, fuck one time. Um, <laughs> How long was the set supposed to be? It's a five minute set. Oh, man, but the berating that he got was about 120 seconds on the overhead PA. Now there's nobody else in the club. It's Wednesday night, right? Maybe like t- 10, 10 civilians and like 20 comedians. So it's not the worst place to get reamed in that fashion, but yeah, it, it is definitely, it, it stuck in my head literally from that long ago. So I've you s- never say you don't go on stage and start with fuck. With I'm pretty yeah, sure that, that made yeah. you, you learn from I've him. also seen a fight in the audience once. Have you ever had anyone fight at a show? Yeah. I've had four seizures, two fights. I've had the shows that I've run. I've been at well. It was it was a show I was at. Um, I was uh, MC, mm. and a girl had a seizure, and they had to ask her. They had to get her out of there. I was at a casino. The M, the, it's not an MGM. But yeah. It was a it was a, a comedy zone, mm. and an older it was in a casino, so it was an older crowd. An older woman had to get removed. I don't know if she died. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I know she was not asleep. I mean, she right. was asleep, but it wasn't like she was. She wasn't sleepy. Like she just passed out. So I don't know what happened to her. So I seen that, and I've had a fight at my show once. What did you do when the fight broke up? Uh, we've had a few fights differently. Well, fights happen amongst comics, and fights happen in the audience. Once. The <laughs> Wait, fight with the audience. What? Now, I've the never fights that happen with the comics don't happen. They don't. They happen, but they don't happen. It's fight club shit. But then when it comes to the crowd, it was. Um, Elise, her uncle was in the audience, yeah. and Aunt Morrow's brother was in the audience. And I guess Elise's uncle was laughing too too much at a comedy show. Aunt Morrow's brother says, you know, something to him in the effect of like, "Don't be so loud. You're laughing too much. I can't hear." Something like that. I empathize on. with Aunt Morrow's brother because I saw a comic the other day, and the lady behind us would not. She would laugh at premises. Hey, you, you know when you walk across the street, ah. <laughs> Like that. Hey man, I tell you right now, you let motherfuckers laugh. Comics love that, but no, if you're in the audience, as, no, as a person, you can't check somebody's humor. Like no, like, and I don't. Like, every time a white guy makes a joke, like black women laugh in the theater, that's, that's their fucking humor. That's how they deal with it. Just because you don't, don't fucking make their shit sound yeah, as crazy. Yeah, yeah. The old black man was laughing. The young black man thought, "Hey man, I can't hear." So he said some shit to him. Like, you try to check an old man who survived shit. Mm-hmm. He ain't got time here. Some knucklehead. Right. Tell him anything about his happiness. Hmm. He says some exchange back, and Marl's brother tried to throw a punch. He misses and just dives into the dude's lap in the chair. Chair falls back. It makes a big commotion. Everybody thinks it's a bigger thing than what it was. Because the aunt's brother's on top of the guy. Mm-hmm. But there's no, he's not punching They're him. Not throwing he him. missed the punch, and he didn't hit... The woman he was with, he probably would have might he might have got his ass. With, I think <laughs> if Aunt Morrow's brother would have hit uh, the guy's wife, yeah, it would have been a different situation. Right. He missed everything. He just lunged at him on some yeah, yeah. sucker shit. Missed him. They the chair falls. It's over just as fast as it, like once it, we heard, heard the noise, everybody rushed over there to see what yeah. was going on. It was done. Right. That happened in the audience. I was like, oh shit. Then you got to find out. And Jimmy had made a joke about the mayor. Mm-hmm. And the mayor's attorney was in the audience, and he tried to walk towards the stage to try and check Jimmy. Jimmy being 5'4", and the fucking dude was like 6'3", mm-hmm. walking towards the stage to try and, so what's that shit you talking about? I said, hey, man, 
One, he's a man out of president. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Two, it's way too many of us in here for you to try and jump on a guy on stage. That's like, fucking hilarious. Like, you're not going to fight a guy on stage and think you're going to, like, yeah, fight Yeah, J- why didn't Jimmy... Yeah, Jimmy is definitely a guy that fucking toes the line that I love watching also. Actually, he yeah. doesn't even tow it. Jimmy goes he way over it. it for snowflakes. Like, if you're really a soft liberal who wants to cry about something, he's not racist. He doesn't say racial jokes on stage, especially at Grog. He, he's, a, he's beloved at Grog, but on the West Side, he's a villain. Really? Yeah, on the West Side, they try to... Oh, Jimmy's mean... Shut the fuck up. I like watching. No, Jimmy's cool. I like watching fights with him. It's great. Like literally like UFC fights and yeah. shit. Yeah, I went on and watched the fight with him. It was fantastic. Uh, Jimmy, like he actually, he did, he's a contrarian. I mean, he's a contrarian. So whatever mm-hmm. the fuck you say, he's going to test you to see if you really mean it. Right. That's all it is. If you're weak, you won't last. That's life. Like I'm a, I'm a, a same way. If you're in an excited mood and I can fuck with you, I'm going to be stoic now. <laughs> as, as Are you, um, Jimmy. You, is it difficult to be happy? I'm happy all the fucking time. Okay. Like I'm, I'm excited. I'm. Have you seen me sad? I don't know. Okay. You, when you think about this, when you see somebody in a bad mood, they're dressed poorly, their demeanor looks sad. Mm. They don't. It looks like they're unwashed. Unwashed is a good. You'll term, see a yes. person looking rough. Yeah. Unkempt. You won't see me like that. Mm. Like I'm always when I'm leaving a house. If I'm in a house and you don't see me for a couple of weeks, check on me maybe. But other than that, I don't have time to be depressed. Right. I have too much shit I'm trying to do <laughs> that I don't know how I feel about it yet. Yeah. Like, I'm just want credit. I want to do shit and get it done. I don't right. really care how I feel. I'll do the feelings after it's done. I look back at everything and be like, huh, I really did not like doing that, <laughs> but I did it. Uh, you, you, I know we have to get out of here, but you brought up something that we never quite got back to, mm-hmm. and that was Maranzio and Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to try to do comedy, but then we talked about race, and I was like, that's more fun. Yeah, it, it it was. Well, that's how I got. That I respected you because we didn't really know each other yet. Yeah, and you were walking around. You would talk about comedy. I'm like, I don't want to talk to some cat. Like, I don't care. Yeah, because you talk in a way. It's like I know. It's like maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't care. I talk in a way that means <laughs> what? What? Because it's cheerful. That? Like it's not a matter of fact tone. Because yeah. I got the matter of fact tone. You have the by the way that you know. Like that, yeah. That it's it's a not a one fun up. Fact. It's not a one up, but it's like a I can relate to. It's like yeah. And like, well, John, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw your name. He shouted you. I said, huh, this nigga might be somebody who's actually worth being nice to. <laughs> no, it's, you know, I think I deal with arrogance. I can deal with mediocre arrogance on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So whenever some new person pops up, it's like, you're just new. Don't fucking, I'm, we're not, I'm not going to be your friend because I don't need to be your friend. I don't yeah. need new friends. I think, but I don't think you're wrong. I think there's definite facets of my personality that, are arrogant and need fixing. No, no, it's uh, not arrogant. It was just you would just talk like I you like you would talk like you know shit. And yeah. I'm like, I don't I just met you, nigga. I don't care. Right. Like I don't take a, a investment into you as emotionally. I don't care. Yeah, I have no credibility in, to in me, your head. Not that, yeah, 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 not to right. world, just to me. So yeah. I'm like, ah, whatever. When I saw them Ryan just I said, Oh man. Cool. But you know, I th- I think that's the beauty that's coming out of Cleveland. I moved here got my ass kicked, uh, you know, on a personal level, right? Like, life just didn't go great. Um, and then I think when you start there and then you fucking witness all the comics that I've had the opportunity to watch this last year and just go, man, everyone, there's so much talent here. It's fucking brimming. Um, coming out of a small scene where I wasn't exposed to as much comedy, wasn't doing as much time, it was just neat, man. It's been a good year of development just because when things aren't working out right, 
personally, you have that much more time to then go off and work on things on a professional uh, on a professional level on your craft or whatever the fuck you want to call comedy your art form. Um, and it was neat. Like Cleveland is a good. It it was very surprising that people are not more angry given how dark and cold and windy it is all the time. Like we don't see the sun six months out of the year, but people, especially the comics, are actually pretty good to each other. All things considered, oh, I yeah. I enjoy just hanging out with the comedians I know, even if we're not doing shows and shit. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot. Well, we have to do that now. Yeah. Because the shows are stagnant. A lot of people have the same shows. So it's either in the same crowds. So you're not even, and they're not really working on new material. So we still want to stay in camp, but we don't want to do archery now. We don't want to do rock climbing. We want to just keep fucking making fire. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so if we want to keep making fire. We got to be fun with the fire. How do you think that changes? Um, I got a plan. <laughs> okay. That's it. I got okay. a plan to change All some right. things, just to shake it up to make it more like a scene I've been to. Mm-hmm. Like the scenes I go to to do comedy here and there, yeah. I'll see something I like. Mm. And I'm like, let's do that here. Yeah. And I just do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited like I, to see I, it. I, like, um, I used to love Def Comedy Jam as a fan. Not mm-hmm. the comedy itself, but the fucking show was just dope to me. Right. So I tried to create one with Grog Shop. Mm-hmm. Um, I love bumping mics. Right. And I love Big J Okerson and that New York style of comedy. So I make my own my own crowd work show. It's so crazy to me that him and Kevin Hart like started together. Mm-hmm. Philly niggas. I had no idea cuz you they never really talk about it. Well, a lot of comic that's the thing, comics don't rep their cities. They don't really rep where well, they're they from. don't even talk about knowing each other that much. But what comics do they acknowledge? I don't know. I mean like, like you know, Dan Soder yeah, so- Big J's last thing, he did an impression. He said, "Look at you." Now you got me doing impressions, Dan. He shouts them out really quickly because he did an impression. Well, they do Bonfire together, right? Like yeah. they're on the same podcast. Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about Big J Okerson and Kevin Hart knowing each other is the craziest coincidence to me. And What about Eddie Murphy and Seinfeld knowing each other for fucking their whole careers because they started like a week apart? I didn't know that. If you watch their fucking comedy and car shit, yeah. they started in the same room around the same time. It wasn't like a bunch of rooms yet, right. but they started literally the same year. You got to remember that like... So because I grew up overseas, yeah, yeah, yeah. my comedy history, uh, I can probably, like, the the big three Chris Rock specials, right? So Kill the Messenger, Bigger Blacker, Bigger and Blacker, and what the fuck's the one in the middle that I'm forgetting? Um, the, the, those three mm-hmm. specials. You're going to stay right there. You're going to figure this out. Fuck, man. Come on. Don't touch your phone either. Bigger and Blacker. Uh-huh. Was the second one. Kill the Messenger. Was, was that the, the one that where he did it in three, 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 different, yep, three was, different cities? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it's a big CR. No, was, I, I mean, he has his, yeah, that, but that's on all of them. No, but the ugly, it's a real ugly one. That was in um, Bigger Blacker. The first one was Niggas and, um, niggas and Black People. That's that, it's the, not the name of it. <laughs> Your face was like, really? Yeah. Uh, it's, come on. Oh, fuck, dude. Don't put me on the spot like this. Shit. Give me a hint or something. I just told you one of the bigger jokes from it. I don't know. Fuck, why am I forgetting this? I, if you didn't put me on the spot, I'd probably remember it. But now I'm fucking zoning out. I don't care. We can all wait right, all night. You're a paid engineer. What's, uh, <laughs> what's, uh, I'm going to do comedy special names when we get out of here. Um, what's the second Chappelle special called? Kill Me Softly? That was the first one. Oh, fuck. Um, damn it. I know the fucking theme song from it though. I, I keep staying. I keep forgetting shit now that you're asking me on the spot like this. For what it's worth. 
Yeah, fuck. There it is. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna stand for all them dudes. Like uh I can't name birds uh for shit. Like Let It Go is one. Uh Walk Your Way Out. Walk Your Way Sorry Out. Sorry you feel one. that way, Paper Tiger. Paper Tiger was the most recent one, yeah. Yeah. But he has another one that I don't remember. I know Mulaney's. I love uh, Mulaney. Who's you guy. people are all the same. Is that Burr? That's Burr. Yeah. Um, Mulaney had... Burr like skyrocketed at the top of my list in the last two fucking years. No, maybe more than that. Three or four years. That's fair. Yeah. It just... I, I mean, and that's the thing. So what I was going to say is like the only stand-up I watched, none of it was on TV. It was only ever on like LimeWire and it would take fucking 10 days to download because it was huge. <laughs> That's funny as um, shit. And it was all dial-up internet at the time. If somebody picked up the phone, you had to start the shit all over again. So, like, you had to download in the middle of the night and hit pause and then do it again day after day. And so, yeah, I saw the only people you watched were people that were so famous that they were the biggest comic in America, basically. So I didn't even watch Chappelle's Killing Me Softly until high school. That's how late I was to it. But that's a lot of... I mean... It's like when you hear a guy talk about Eddie Murphy influencing me, he's 35 and under. He didn't. I didn't watch Raw <laughs> until... But I'm saying, like, you didn't grow up. It's like, right. Cosby is an influence to me, but it was after Cosby's run. Yeah. By the time I liked... By the time I was comedy age, it was... Eddie Murphy was the guy, but he wasn't yeah. there yet. And Chris Rock was now king. Right. And then Chappelle. Right. But you go back and watch other shit. What like, was that middle Chris Rock special? It's the first one. What was it? Bring the pain. I That's came the bring, fu- it's yeah. always like uh, damn it. The yeah. theme song for uh, bigger and blacker was um, fuck. It was a rap song that I can't remember right now. But I know that um, the one for Kill the Messenger was uh, Duffel Bag Boy. Yeah, Two Chains and Lil Wayne. Yeah, because um, I watch specials. Con- like I watch them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make sure that if I go to that space, what I can't say. Right. So I can't walk in your footprints, mm-hmm. but I can touch a topic. I can, you know, from like a uh, father figure and nobody loves you for Roy Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, cold blooded and cold hearted for Deion Cole because it's all new. Right. Um, the new uh, new in town, um, comeback kid and kid gorgeous for John Mulaney. Yeah. Like those are guys I watch this shit. Right. I'm a fucking. But also I come from a background of af- being an athlete. Right. I wasn't a great athlete, but I damn sure knew the plays. Right. I knew what the game was going to be. Same thing with comedy. Hmm. I just watch everything to know what to do better, what they do that I don't do. I like low-energy dudes who don't do a lot of moving. Mm-hmm. Mulaney does what Chris Rock does as far as they pace the stage. Sideways? Hmm? Sideways? Yeah, they yeah. pace the stage. But Mulaney does something that Chris Rock doesn't do where he doesn't repeat the fucking premise, premise again. Yeah. Yeah. He'll fuck with you on certain jokes. Like He likes to do what Tosh does great. With Tosh's first album, his first one was... Uh, Think seriously, not seriously funny. It was like, um, fuck. It was like he wore a blue hoodie. It was on Comedy Central before anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something like two words that are contradicting each other. Um, he would start with a story here, and he had a story about staying out late and daylight savings time, mm-hmm. and it ended on a pterodactyl in Target. Hmm. How if daylight savings is that, if you don't have that whole hour extra, you might not be in a club, in a bar for an extra right. hour. So you won't take that ugly girl home, who's not even an ugly girl. She's so bad, you're so drunk. She's really a pterodactyl, who her wingspan's way too big for your apartment. She will knock over all your lamps. So you go to Target at five in the morning. It's a whole dumbass bit right. that started with daylight savings. Right. Mulaney's did a joke on to end the comeback kid about the hotel and did the fucking rewind a recap of the fucking um, uh, fugitive. Mm-hmm. 
He said his mom took him to see Bill Clinton at a dinner when he was like 10. And it's the same hotel that they shot the movie, (laughs) the fugitive end and the final scene. And I'm like, that type of shit is like, I love jokes like that where you don't know what the fuck's going on, but you just sit and listening to me. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Don't try to finish my bars. Like just listen to what I'm saying and laugh Mm -hmm. because you can't, you don't know what I'm going to do next. That's the fun. I love that type of shit. Yeah. Misdirection. And that's, Yes, I love Chappelle's but jokes. But it's masterful, Mr. Like, oh, Chappelle's cocky. I love it. His shit is um, kicker in the pussy. Yeah, and then yeah, I mean, he, he gives ends you his first. set after an hour of giving you all this dick. Yeah, he kisses your pussy at the end. <laughs> kicks you right in your pussy. It's the fucking. That's one of my favorite ties. That and then, the I mean, footy. it's a bookend callback. That's fucking. That one, he, he made the callback early and just that, that's just like the level of And greatness. you think it's over. That's the beauty of it. But that the second fucking punch. OJ story, yeah. nigga, I'm going to tell y'all four OJ stories. He right. tells you three on purpose, ends the show. Oh, wait, well, my fault. One more story. He, that's not, it, but it feels right. like he's making this up on the fly. Right. That's how I love, I like comedy. You don't know what I'm doing. Right. It's not, this clean comedy is very, I start here, I end here. Because mm-hmm. you can't riff because you got to make sure you don't cuss. You're fucking lying to people. You cuss. You do. You don't have sex every time. You fuck. Stop playing this clean <laughs> shit. You getting some pussy trying to fuck. You're not a guy who's trying to court a young lady and get to know her and then maybe one day engage in some sexual intercourse. No, you trying to get some pussy. Stop fucking playing with us. Stop lying about this clean cut image. We don't like clean cut people. We destroy them all. Every clean cut man you can name, I can tell a rumor about him. Name one. Jesus. He wasn't a virgin. He fucked Mary Magdalene. That's There's a whole true. rumor about that shit. I'm not saying it's true. Yeah. Martin Luther King. I was in Memphis at the fucking hotel yeah. with my girlfriend at the time. Old man sitting, sitting to my left, staring at the shit to me. It's a glass plate. Mm-hmm. We just looking in the room. He says, we even make eye contact. He just standing close to me here and yeah. says, I heard the reason why it took the ambulance so long to get upstairs, they had to get the girl out first. Damn. I'm like, what girl? He was with a girl the night before. Nigga, you don't be here with that energy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, let me mourn my nigga in peace. Like, the fuck? <laughs> but every great man that we put on a thing is some person that's mad at his greatness and has a truth. Chris Martin. Who is that? The lead singer of Coldplay. He ain't a great man. He's a fucking singer that we don't care about. He wrote Yellow. Okay. That's so not a, I know. Okay. I know a, we're going from that's Martin that's Luther King Indian, to the... That's an Indian... Maybe that's y'all shit, but no, that didn't, that didn't touch me. us. That's only me. Yeah, you might love Coldplay, that's but nigga, I don't... Me. I'll do... You too? Who the fuck care? They're, they're musicians. <laughs> I don't think Bono's the next coming of shit. Yeah. He's, he can really not really sing. He's just a guy. To me, he didn't really, he ain't singing for me. He cared more about Africa. Fuck him. Well, so, okay, so what qualifies a great man? Ain't no great man in America. There's not one besides Barack Obama who has no ex-girlfriend who's a fucking amazing man. He even fucking Syria. So I can't even say he's a great man for real. Yeah. So, I mean, he's great, but he's not perfect. Not to everybody, yeah. He's not perfect. Right. But, like, he, he didn't really have scandal, though. His scandal was his job. He killed a country. But when it came to like his yeah. personal life, right. Obama's pretty, the first clean, guy yeah. I've ever, ever, ever heard that didn't have any ex-girlfriend say anything. Right. There's no guy that ever fucked Michelle. There's no bitter asshole. 
who doesn't see this woman and want to take her down a peg? That's amazing. <laughs> In this country, I'm proud. I'm so proud of them. Well, you don't hear about anybody's act, like Melania or Donald Trump. You don't. Well, Donald Trump, you did. Um, Every president you think about. Clint, that, well, fuck Clinton. You no, but too. if they ever, they had other issues. If they were considered greats, yeah. they had something. Kennedy, You're onto something with it. Kennedy You're had right. a chance to be a great president. You mourned him, but then you said, oh, Kennedy had found a, a hidden tunnel here to fuck his side bitch in yeah. the White House. Why the fuck are we doing this? Hmm. Why are we destroying this man who got shot in the fucking head? Well, you know, Marilyn Monroe, I mean, that was pretty well established. Oh, man, thing, if you were going to get a side chick, that's the, that's the best one to do. Like, at that time, she had a fucking Hall of Famer ball player, yeah. any of the Rat Pack, and then the president, best vagina in the world, top 10. Like, you can't argue with that. No woman's ever been in that many circles because of her vagina and how she looks. No, it was because she scored a 600 on the GMAT, John. Jesus. Maybe. Come on. She was but there's, no great, there's no great man in America. No, she was legitimately, I thought she was legitimate. like from everything I've read, she was legitimately intelligent person. Oh, I never thought she was an airhead. Yeah, yeah. I think she, I think for a woman to be considered stupid, she plays dumb. They're not stupid people. They had to be smart the whole time. Women can't be strong and dumb. They have no choice but to be smarter than us. They just play it very well. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's the, there's a Carlin quote. Is there, is it him? He's like, women are always, women are definitely the superior half. I forget what the fucking quote is. I'll find, I'll make I one soon. I'm probably I keep dating that. these fucking geniuses. I'm going to fucking, they gonna, something going to inspire me. <laughs> but no, I'm telling you, like, the, the women, they play dumb when they can, yeah. when it's safer. Because, like, if they really, like, think about, um, we don't, do you date black women or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't. Oh, but, but you're not against it. No, I'm not Fair. against it. Uh, I've, uh, well, I mean, now I feel I'm not trying to put it in business out there. Don't say it to you. You're fine. I haven't, I haven't, da- no, I mean, I, I, no, I asked for one reason. I want you to, don't, I don't want you to bury no, yourself. No, but like the, the short answer is like, uh, I've, I've dated, I've seriously dated very few people in my life, mm-hmm. but I've definitely, I mean, I'm open to whatever. I don't, you know, that's not a, a barricade for me. The race is not a, um, a reason I would say no to somebody. Fair enough. No, because uh, if you date a black woman and they start to invest in you yeah. emotionally, yeah. that then is everything else. Like, they will make sure that you're okay. Right. If you want to try something and they know you're not the best at it, they'll still try to support you just in case. But Indian people, Indian culture is, is like that. It's very yeah. similar. But some, some women you'll date, they'll, if you're not it, they're not fucking with you. Like, okay, you're falling, you're falling off now, I'm gone. Ah. They'll build you from the ground up. That's mm-hmm. why they get so hurt when you see when they see a, a black man get successful. Yeah, and then he goes to he another a white race, wife or white wife, yeah, any wife, whatever, any because yeah. any, it's exotic if it's different to Americans. Hmm. So if I get a Indian girl, yeah, to a black girl, she's not going to see that this woman has a struggle similar to hers. She sees that this girl has the straight hair and a complexion that kind of wins, but the straight hair gets her in circles that she can't. She sees her shortcomings and how I saw it. Like she'll think that I chose her because. I don't think they're good enough. The the irony is when I've dated women that aren't Indian, <clears throat> no Indian women is they're like, yeah, take him, please. Like well, because we didn't, we you, I think we came over here to America differently, so our context is completely different than any right. immigrant that comes over here by choice. Right. No, I'm I'm making yeah. a no, joke. No, no, about I know, how I know, I know. Women, never mind. No, I get the joke, but I'm stepping on all shit right now. We're too serious. Man. Yeah, it's over. There's no fucking fun <laughs> here tonight. Nigga. It's all no, but um, yeah, there's no real. The only great man that I've ever witnessed in my life that can stand and hold is Barack Obama. Mm. And I was fucking in my 20s by the time he was introduced to my world. Yeah. 
Like that was it. There was no other man that was seamless. Like no problems. Right. Michael Jordan, he got divorced because whatever reason. Kobe Bryant's a rapist. So my athlete role models aren't holding right. up. Right. Um, a few like Tyson had his issues. He's Tyson, angry. Tyson has a conviction, doesn't he? Yeah, but he's more of a victim of circumstance of the nigga I, shit. Like being a black dude. I, I see. Yeah, I mean, like when you watch, um, he ha- he's actually coming down the road in like his a month. His quote was, "When he got out of jail, they asked him how he feel. He said, I should have raped a bitch.' Mm. So I'm Tyson's my guy because I would feel I do the same shit. If I went to jail for a rape beef, I didn't I didn't rape anybody." Not like I'm getting for some bullshit. Like I raped this girl here and I'm getting off on this girl. No, if I didn't rape anybody and I served time for it and my life is just completely destroyed, I got to start from square one. And you ask me how I feel. Right. And my time, not like some Michael B. Jordan <laughs> lawyer saved my ass and got me out of jail. No, I served my time for a crime I didn't commit. I'm like, well, fuck, I wish I committed the crime now. At least I'd have the pussy on my record. And I'd have I'd be the guy they said I was, and I'd did be they, fine. Did they, I mean I I never followed the the entirety of it. I just like as a boxing fan, I enjoy watching a lot of that shit. But yeah, I never quite delved into. He ate her pussy. Is is that what? So and he went and what happened? He went to jail. He didn't walk her out. He sent her home. That's why you should never Uber for girls. You should take them home this, if you have a car. <laughs> um, it's a thing that comes to success as any any person. But yeah. for black men, you're told certain things. Don't fuck with white women. Your, your mother, grandmother, aunts, older people, older black women tell you don't do it if you're going to be successful. You're going to be just a regular nigga who's going to be just living your life, find love where you find it. But if you want to have some money involved in that love, keep it in the community mm. because you're giving their resource back to them because she has access to take half your shit. And when it, times get tough... That disconnect y'all got from being two are different you, are sides. You, do you ever see yourself getting married? Yeah, I was engaged before. I mean, yeah. Prenup or no? No. Really? Definitely not. Why? Because uh, I don't want to make marriage a system. Uh, I mean, a, a business transaction. Yeah, but when marriage ends, it is a business. Well, if it ends, we'll, tell, we'll deal with it then. Hopefully, we end with... Uh, <laughs> That's no, what I'll tell you what. No, well, if we end... You have the answer to the solution you just... Or the problem you just described. No, if we end... Hopefully, we're in a decent enough space that we ended as people who were married, not people who hate each other. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, but that's the the inherent crux of you know. Pick the right. Per- I mean, I've dated women who wouldn't take shit if uh if whatever happened, they wouldn't take it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people. Plus, I date like I date successful women, so they don't really need half my shit. <laughs> right. I haven't dated women who makes less than me since I've been twenty. Nice. Like no girls, cool. like, I don't make any money. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, not that's that they're I, so I, much. I wasn't going to point out <laughs> what you made as a stand-up comic. So, yeah. so it's like it's not like, and it was even the freelance shit. It was never yeah. like I'm a target for success for money. Yeah. So I was never really on my edge. Like, oh, she's only with me for the. If that's part of it, fuck it, it's mine. Right. Like if a girl's with me because I'm tall, fine. Like if say I was on a movie in a movie, mm-hmm. she only with you because you're in that movie. That's cool. I got her attention. Now I got her. I got her attention from my movie, which was a, uh, the fact that what Chris Rock said is pussy is a great equalizer. No matter how successful a man is, he's doing it for pussy. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah. That is a joke, isn't it? Um, I, I look at it a little differently only because money in the Indian community is seen as communal to a degree. Does that make sense? Yes. You, Cause uh, we, we tried that, but then we got I too earn much. it for us. Like my dad earned it for, 
the whole family, right? So when it came time to like go to college, there was there was a set of funds that had been put aside that I could access. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much so that when I saw that 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 amount of money was, I don't know, I would I just wanted my folks to be able to retire earlier. So I mean, and my sister was coming up behind me, right? So she's like five years younger than me, about to go to college too. And I was like, man, like I'd really love for you guys to be able to just, you know, like not have to keep working to make this happen. So I had a chunk of change. So from the day I got to Penn State, just saving and working and saving, working, saving, working. And then after I got out, same thing. So when it came time for her to go to college, I had uh, enough put aside that I could put a dent in the in the bills for her. Um, and my dad retired like, I think the year that she started, which was fucking perfect. And so he like kind of went off and then um, he's like, listen, whenever you want this money back, I got it. Like, don't, don't even worry about it. Like, you know, you shouldn't have to carry that. And I was just like, no, just hold on to it. It's fine. Turns out he went and invested the money in an apartment for me in India. Right. Mm. And so like, I guess technically I'm a homeowner by extension. And so that's what I like about, communal banking like none of this we never paid a dime in interest to a bank like that is the the aspiration and the ability for communal capital to work but the community itself it has to be self-reinforcing that's why like the asian community indian community we're able to do that there's downsides to it which is like in order to enact that level of social pressure and sense of duty on people you have to box them in to a certain regard if you had a bunch of sons and daughters that went off, got like a hundred grand education and decided to become painters, it would never fucking work. Mm-hmm. You would never have that resource flow back into the community in order to sustain that next generation. So I don't know. I find it interesting. Generational thinking is something that um, I I didn't, I didn't realize I was doing it, but I've been doing it since I was probably 23, 24. Cause I was already thinking about my, my sister to begin with. And now that I'm, you know, approaching 30, same thing. Like I'm thinking about where do I need to put myself financially by 35 and 40? Um, how to stand up, figure out in all of these pieces. And then what kind of regular life do you need to live on top of that to figure it out? But regular life is overrated. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's parts of it. I really enjoy the safety and security of it. But at the same time, I do enjoy my life as a stand up because that's a little more, a little more cowboy, a little more gunslinger. <laughs> more, it's a, it's more, it's a more compelling story than guys that are like, you know, you ask them what the fuck they do, and they can't tell you one interesting thing. They don't want to talk about their jobs. I don't know. I just, I meet a lot of people in the middle, and I, I come from a family that is a bunch of people in the middle. Um, but I always got this inherent sense, like all of these guys wanted to pull the trigger on something else in their lives and didn't. That's a lot of people. I mean, that's yeah. why like, I think any job where you pursue your dream is a job where people are going to look at you like you're crazy until you do it. Yeah. Like you're, cause you're not doing what you're told. There's no, there's no, there's no ABC to get to the D pause. Like you don't need to just do, <laughs> I'm petty as fuck. I'm still immature. Right. You can't get, you can't go, Oh, if you go to school, you finish, you get a job. Mm-hmm. Now, if it says, hey, if you go to this open mic yeah. and get lucky, mm-hmm. in 10 years, you, you might. might, in 10 years, you might be able right. to claim that as a profession. 
The irony for me is like you look at anybody in the creative arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you share your dream with people, a lot of them will discourage you or treat it like a hobby or encourage you in the way that they encourage children to mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, show me what you've drawn. Um, the day you create something on that dream, there some of those people that were very discouraging are now the first to critique it. So it's a catch-22. It's, okay, so... I won't succeed is what you think. If I succeed in creating it, it's not good enough. If I succeed in creating it and it's good enough, you are always with me. Now, I have very few of those people and that's a shrinking minority, right? So I want enough enough of those people that I can humble myself and get over my own hype, like not just fucking believe everything I create is gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and just enough people to also believe that, convince me that not everything I create is trash and to keep going. So finding that balance has been tricky, but this year, more than anything, I feel like I, I fucking, I, I've, I've got to give myself credit on finding those right people, and this scene has been instrumental in that. Um, it's conversations like this, not just with you, but with, you know, the the entirety of this of this city, and, and really, I want to say mostly, like, it's mostly Cleveland Comics that I hang with, but just seeing that depth of experience, man, I mean... You have people that bring incredible business knowledge to the table, like with regard to specific show business, knowledge about race dynamics in a comedy environment, um, knowledge about comedy specials, just a fucking shitload of very, very topics that that I've enjoyed studying. So yeah, thanks, man, for having me on this. And I'm glad you're my friend too. Yeah, yeah, and for being friends. I, As we're holding hands yeah. across the table. <laughs> Shout out to social see. media, man. It's late. It's uh, it's Raj does comedy on everything. R A J does comedy on every single platform, um, and the website has all the show dates. It's rajdoescomedy.com. Thank you for coming out to this Friday late show. You're amazing. Good Thanks, luck in buddy. New York. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. We didn't talk about that any, but that's where I'm going yeah. next, kids. <laughs> all right. This episode of Friday Late Show was produced and edited by Jeremy Demery of Golden Knight Studio.